All right. So why don't we uh, continue here with our study of the book of Mark. Just a quick recap. Call last week we started. We talked about Jesus and his mothers and his brothers and that kind of awkward confrontation. But I think as we kind of work through it here, we see really what was going on was, you know, the point that loyalty to God takes precedence over loyalty to family, and blood relations. But of course, doesn't mean that we're not to have those relationships with our family. But the point being is God and his kingdom and God's family first, right? So talked to, talked about that some. And then we got into, and I kind of apologize, maybe too much of an in-depth look at the parable of the sower. But again, re- recall that this is really the first, put that down, the first, the first parable, kind of. So it's kind of the big p- pinnacle one, and then everything kind of flows from that. So we went through the parable of the sower. Recall in, in chapter 4, the first nine uh, verses are Jesus laying out the parable. Then there's a little interlude where he gives the purpose of the parables, and we went through that too. And then in verse 13 is the interpretation of the parable. So I went through kind of in depth setting up just the picture of the parable of the sower um, with the intention of us getting in to Jesus' own interpretation. And unfortunately, we didn't get through that, but that's where we're going to start today. But just a couple other reminders. Remember, we talked uh, these in-depth analysis of the, there was, recall, four different soils and, uh, and, and looked kind of those. And uh, recall that I said that these soils, remember, they, they coexist. There's good soils within the bad so- soils. And then also the important thing, just looking at the parable itself. Remember, there's nothing wrong with the seed itself in this, okay? So... Uh, the exact same seed is being scattered on all these different soils, which then the soils we saw were are acting differently. So if there is a problem, if there is one, it's with the soil and not the seed here. Okay, then we covered, then after that we went to the purpose of the parables. Um, we, we talked about Jesus. He quoted Isaiah 6, uh, verses 9 and 10, to show that he was actually fulfilling Scripture, prophesied about him in speaking in parables. And again, Jesus now is speaking in parables because the crowds are rejecting him. Um, And then uh, we see in Mark uh, 13, we'll see about how Jesus then says to him, do not understand this parable, and that's what we'll get into. So before we do that, why don't we open with an invocation in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, if you would, turn in your Bibles then. Again, we're going to... We're going, to go, we're going to go in depth in verse 13, but let me just briefly read through just the parable, the beginning of the parable, 4 through 9, so we have it in context then about then Jesus will go through and interpret what he's saying here. So the parable of the sower, beginning at uh, chapter 4, verse 1, and again he began to preach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. 
And he was teaching them many things in parables. And his teachings, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured it. First scenario. Two, other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it was withered. Number two. Then, number three, other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And then number four scenario. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, so that's the background, right? Now let's move on. We're going to skip through the, the purpose of the parables. We talked about that. Now we'll go to verse 13, where see Jesus himself interprets this for us. Okay, so verse 13, I'll read through it, and then we'll kind of go back through it and look at it. So verse 13, in the interpretation, he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And then here we go. The interpretation. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Hmm. Sound familiar? Think of people in our lives or people that we know maybe fall in some of these categories. So let's look at this now, okay? So kind of in depth here. Um, let's start uh, on, on 4.13. Again, I think I did cover this last time. Jesus says to his disciples, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And this verse is Jesus' first rebuke of his closest followers, actually the twelve. And of course, as we see, we're going to go through Mark, we'll see more of this happening where uh, there's, Jesus will rebuke the twelve more and more times um, about it. So in any event, verse 14 then. So we start here. The sower sows the word. Okay? So this, of course, is explaining in verse 3, a sower went out to sow, right? That's what we're talking about. So what is, who's the sower? The sower is the one that sows the word. And then the seed here is the word, okay? And the study note on 4.14, I think this is pretty good. It says, those sowing God's word are Jesus himself, the first disciples and all subsequent teachers and preachers of the gospel, so the sower brings the gospel and the word of God to the people, okay? 
So that's what it is. Sower is sowing the word. The word is the seed here. All right. Moving on here, then to verse 15. And these are the, well, let me do this. Okay, let, let me, I'm going to say what, what, the, what, the, what he's interpreting. So then remember in 4.4, 4, this was the first scenario. And he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Okay, so what does this mean? And 4.15. And those are the ones along the path where the word is sown when they hear Satan immediately comes and takes the word that is sown in them. Okay, so where the word is sown. Uh, so this, I think, is really a reminder here that it's the problems in reception of Jesus do not stem from the lack of spread of the word, right? I mean, we saw this in the parable. The seed is really being spread all around. So I think that's the point. The problem in reception is, is not that we have a problem with an inadequacy of spreading the word, no. What it is here is, is, is the problem with man. It's the problem with man, right? Um, not with Jesus or God being stingy with the seed or the word or anything. So that's what's going on. When the, what, when the word is sown, keep that in mind there. But then the next, the point here is, the next thing is when they hear the Greek can actually be when they actually heard the word. So isn't this interesting? It's not until that takes place. Look at this. So Satan's really not attacking it before, right? This is the key. When they heard, okay? When the word is actually heard. So uh, it, until this happened, it seems like, you know, the devil is really kind of at ease, right? What does he care? You haven't heard about the word you know, he didn't care. But this is interesting now. When they heard, when you hear the word, then what happens, huh? The devil knows this. Now the devil's afraid. The devil needs to act, right? And that's what's going on here. So it's when they heard, Satan immediately comes. And this is when he needs to, to act, when the word is heard, okay? So again, Satan then immediately comes. Clearly, I think we look at this here, there's a strong indication that there, this spiritual kind of dimension, right, is in fact a real reality, real reality today. And I think we know that, but here in this, Jesus tells Satan immediately comes, there is this uh, evil spiritual reality that we do face, we do face as Christians, and those that hear the word. So through the ears, the word then has been sown into them. So now this word is sown in them. And now this word is kind of lying in the minds of the hearer at this point. The devil comes, but obviously it's not staying there. So Satan, you know, moved by this inordinate wickedness and opposition to God. What does he do? Then he snatches the word away from these hearers. So this is kind of the, the work of Satan here. But I don't think that undercuts either that, you know, there is sometimes a human ego element involved. Human ego uh, is an obstacle to the word, but also clearly uh, Satan is an, uh, you know, an obstacle to the word. All right. So that's kind of going to Satan immediately comes and takes a word that is sown in them. So really, what, what then does this first, this first soil analysis here 
you know, I, I think it really is a warning against the, the dangers of spiritual apathy and indifference, right? And we see this in the world. This is, this is what the world, this is what the pagan, our pagan world is today. So, of course, then the devil is always seeking to steal away our faith and, and those uh, faith of other believers. And that we really need to remain vigilant against his attacks. So how do we do that? It's the importance here is that we stay rooted in God's word, right? Always in God's word and remaining steadfast in our faith. We're attending the divine service to receive his gifts. Uh, we've got the baptism, Lord's Supper, and the word. It's important to be in that uh, because we do. There is a reality to it. There is a spiritual dimension and when, when the word is there and heard, that's the first thing. That's what the devil's afraid of, right? He doesn't want you to know the word. So he's, when, he, when you hear it, this is what it's just saying. He's going to attack. And we see this in our Christian lives, right? So this happens. So the importance here on this first one is he stay rooted in God's word and remaining steadfast in our faith. All right? Any questions or anything to add on that first example? It looks like Barry's got his hand up. Oops, I don't have the. I was just going to ask, you know, uh, in the context of hardness of heart, um, you know, um, the law has a job of softening the heart. And um, so this kind of explains why the gospel doesn't, is not received. Uh, from the context of Satan, but the context of your heart. Um, um, if you could just talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, God wants all to come, and like well, we, have, we have family and we have neighbors that we pray for, and I think prayer is, is one of the things because God's will is that all would come to him. That's right. Mm-hmm. But... Um, uh, I don't know. I just uh, I'm, I'm thinking of didn't the, didn't uh, Jesus send out his disciples uh, and they came back and uh, they weren't able to maybe that was uh, healing or maybe that was ex, you know demon uh, extraction but Jesus said that must be dealt with with prayer so mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you just comment on the context of this and that. Like. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, first of all, I think I think you talk about certainly we don't believe that Jesus damns certain people to hell, right? So we do believe that it's for everybody. Um, I think it's a. I think Pastor Mavis said this. But I'm not sure I heard it, but certainly above my pay grade to know why some are saved and some others aren't. We just don't know the answer to that question. But I think that's right, though. Prayer is an important aspect. We can pray for those, those unbelievers. We pray for our, our, our worlds and, and, and our government leaders and stuff. But So I think prayer is very important with that, especially with family members. Sure, absolutely. But I think, uh, yeah, I'm not sure kind of, is that kind of where you're getting out there, Barry? Or? Yeah, because there's two, there's, there's those who who receive the word, hear it, and then sometimes push it away. Yeah. Know, so, so this is like maybe Ephesians six, where the mm-hmm. you know we have the the way in which we fight Satan. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, but those that don't know, you know, who are 
I don't want to say atheists, but people who just have have no faith at all, and then the word goes out to them, and it's 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 like these these soils, mm-hmm. and their their heart is hard hardened, kind of like Pharaoh was in Egypt, you know. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, so and, yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's like mm-hmm. need to take if God lays on our heart, I guess, praying for these certain souls. Then you know, if we keep be like the person who. Um, continually badgers the judge. Isn't there a parable where they keep praying and praying and praying and finally, uh, you know, God, uh, so... Yeah, no, I think that is a good point. We can keep playing. And, 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 and certainly, um, you know, we, we, don't, we don't have a free will in our salvation, but you know what? The, there is, you know, there, there is a, an act of rejection that the human being can do. That's right. So we can, we can continue to pray for those that they wouldn't reject the gospel. That's, that's true. Absolutely. Good. I think, did you have your hand up? Yeah. Yes, here. Thanks, Barry. I hadn't thought about the, the law that's in function. I wanted to ask, can we say, or is this going too far afield? Because it does depend on the individual. But does culture have some play in this? Yeah, I don't think so anymore. What is, there's no more Jews or Greeks. Jew, there's no more what Jews, Gentiles. I mean, I, I really don't think so anymore. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying about culture and stuff, but, you know, Jesus died for the sins of the entire world, um, and there's no more divisions, you know. But I, I, mean, I think your, as your point in is, you know, if you mid, live in the middle of China, you're not hearing the word like you are in the United States. Is that kind of what's going on? Is that what you're, you mean by that? Or? or even in our negative culture. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, you're, you're opening the doorway for a new, some parables we're going to get at today. That's right. And what we're going to see is, you know what? It's God's kingdom, and we, pay, we be patient with, what, with how he chooses to grow his kingdom on this metaphor of growing, which we're going to see. Yeah, we can pray for that. Uh, we, can, we can continue to preach the gospel in the church, administer the sacraments. And we're at, at the feet of the Lord as to propose to how he sees this kingdom growing. And when it gets to a place to where he doesn't, you know, we, we never know where he wants it to be or where it's going to be. When he decides to come, he decides to come on the second coming. So, yeah, I think it's our patience and to continue to know that this is all in God's control, right, on what happens to that. So in, in our culture or wherever where the word isn't preached, I mean, we can pray for those people. Um, but at the same time, we know that it's just all in God's hands, right? And we can't try to try to figure it out. But, yeah. Good, good. All right. Any more questions on this first one? Yes, Chris. Yeah. Um, going back uh, just before this, um, verse twelve, I guess, where the uh, uh, is it Isaiah? That they may indeed see, but not perceive, and they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest yeah. they should turn and be forgiven. Um, I just, I, I would like to hear more about what that means, uh, lest they should turn and be forgiven, because it seems like that would be a good thing, right? Yeah. Um, and, and then what might that have to do with this ongoing kind of secrecy 
thing in Mark where he will rebuke the, the spirits who identify him as the Messiah or the Son yeah. of God. Yeah, okay. And just wonder about that. if you, um, And then using the parables to intentionally be... I mean, I could understand it being like a slowing down and helping you to meditate on something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but wouldn't like, it be a good thing to turn and be forgiven? That's, that's the thing I keep thinking. Yeah, I think that's what he's saying there. I think turn and being lest they they should turn and and be forgiven is what he's saying but i think what he's addressing here with this quote of isaiah it's just it's this is just a sobering reminder of the consequences of continuing to, je- to reject god's word so those who reject god's word and truth are blind to it and this blindness then prevents them from turning to god and being forgiven i think that's really what it's saying there You see that, Chris? You look, they may hear and not perceive and immediately, unless they turn in. So I think what it is, is you cannot turn and be forgiven if you're rejecting God's truth and willingly blind to it. Yeah. I was going to add that uh, <clears throat> I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says the, the ruler of this world blinds the eyes. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, that kind of ties in with the hardness of heart, and right, that, right. which is Satan, the ruler mm-hmm. of this world. Yeah. You know, so uh, I think that that supports uh, yeah. the hardness of heart and, and uh, so forth. So, yeah, good point. Good point. Right. Good. Any other questions on that or follow up on that? Mm-hmm. Can I get the. Right here, Barry. I'm sorry. I have a question on verse 11. It says, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. Is he talking directly to the disciples? In other words, yes, yes, only, only they have been given the secret. Right, right. And then also that applies to us, right, really. It's That's what I was wondering. Human beings really cannot un- understand divine, revel- you know, divine revelation unless God uh, gives us insight, right? And where does he do that? I mean, he gives it to us in his word. But do we know everything? We don't. But we do have the word in front of us, and really it's his people then that we have, you know, God gives us this ability, and then we, we do have an understanding of, of, of this divine revelation, who he is, what the kingdom of God is. But outside of the word, mankind doesn't know that, right, unless it's given and revealed to him. But certainly there's still mysteries. I mean, even yesterday we were teaching the kids uh, catechism. I'm going over this. This is... Uh, the body and blood, all right? The, the bread is the body. The blood is, this, or the, excuse me, the wine is. You know, it's easy to kind of talk about it, right? But then, you know, I'm talking to the kids, but, you know, it's still, it still has the elements of bread. And, you know, this is this whole sacramental union. Pastor and I were talking about afterwards that, you know, it is Christ's body and blood. But it is still kind of a mystery, right, in terms of we know it's Christ's body and blood. But how is this sacramental taking place i mean so there are still mysteries without the bible but overall you know god we don't know anything human beings don't know anything about god's 
uh, real divine revelation in it, unless it's been given to us by him, which is given to us here in the Bible. So that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Good point. We got one more question. I'm sorry. sorry. Quote. What is the source of the quote? Um, that the, Eve may indeed see but not perceive. Oh, yeah, that's the, that's the Isaiah quote. It's Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. So here's what Isaiah 6, 9 through 10 said. 10. Excuse me, 6, 9 through 10. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn to be healed. So, again, the Lord was commissioning Isaiah to preach to Israel, knowing that the people would not understand really what they heard or saw. So that's kind of what the context of this is. And that's kind of what Jesus is doing now, is is teaching to these unbelieving crowds. So he used parables, uh, again, because they're continuing to reject him. All right. Anything else there? Good questions, though. These are hard questions. They're good. And the parables are hard, right? The parables are hard. But we do know Jesus speaks in parables. And, of course, it says, you know, he doesn't always speak in parables, but he does here in this section when there's, you know, crowds and these unbelieving crowds at this point. Towards the end, you know, it's not everything that comes out of his mouth, but this is what he's doing here, speaking in parables. And again, the parables are, as we kind of saw, seeking to show what, what the rule and reign of God is, okay? Teaching in these parables. Okay. So, good, good, good. Let's, uh, let's see, where we were. So we talked about scenario number one, right? In verse uh, 15, and then Satan immediately comes. Uh, got through all that. Okay, so again, this verse, this underscores the importance of staying rooted in God's word and remaining steadfast in our faith. So then the second scenario is kind of similar. These kind of are all similar, but the little difference is here. So the second um, then set of soils is for 16 through 17. But let me go back. What, what, what Jesus is interpreting in 16 and 17 is this. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. We talked about that in depth last time. So now here's the, the interpretation then. Let's look at four. We're going to do four sixteen and 17. And these are the ones sown on rocky grounds, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And when they have... And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, here we go, we've seen this, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. All right, so these people hear the word. Okay, again, it's at the hearing of the word. And immediately they receive it with with joy. So again, parable's not dealing with people who are not hearing the word. It's when the word comes. Okay, so then the, these, these second hearers here, they make this great show of promise because it says with joy here. It's this, possibly this enthusiastic reception of God's word, right? And when the moment they hear it, they are delighted. And again, the seed on the rock soil springs up more quickly than the other good soil. But beyond the fact, the soil proves disappointing. 
Um, so there's something wrong from the start here. They don't have root. They get the seed of the word, but no root by which the word could remain and bear fruit. So I think that ultimately what, what this is kind of saying here is there's a warning against kind of a shallow or uncommitted faith. So true, our, our true faith, which is given to us, requires a deep abiding commitment to God's word. And then this, okay? And, and this is in our Christian lives, in our sanctified lives. We are going to have trials and tribulations, right? And it's at this point what happens then. Those with the strong faith, we know we've got a cross to bear. We know about that. We know we can turn to, to Jesus and our Savior. But then these other people, when they, they, they are confronted with these trials and tribulations, then, then they fall away from the faith. So that's what this, again, I think this is underscoring the importance of remaining rooted still, kind of the first in Christ's word, even when we're faced with persecution and opposition. And if you look at the study note uh, in our study, Lutheran Study Bibles under 416, it's kind of there. It says, Many converts joyfully begin a walk in the faith, but then turn away when difficulties come. Uh, difficulties and troubles will come to all believers. We know that, even as they once came to Christ. This is why Jesus repeatedly warns people of the perils, fo- perils of following him. And why his apostles repeatedly urge believers to preserve despite trials. Okay? So that's what we, how do we preserve? That's what we, we remain in the Word. We remain in His gospel. We remain in going to church and we receiving all the gifts that our Lord provides us, right? Every, in the Lord's service. Uh, the Word, His body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. Right? This is how we preserve. And we believe... What Jesus tells us, right? We believe in the gifts. We believe that the Lord's body and blood is for the forgiveness of our sins, and it's going to strengthen our faith. So we believe in that. And that's what this is getting into. That's really the strong, solid root to it, okay? Otherwise, you don't really believe it. You don't take it. Something happens to you, fall away, okay? We've seen that. I've seen that. doesn't mean that the person can't ever come back, right? But... Um, any other thoughts on that? Question number two, or no, not question two, but uh, scenario number two of the soils. I'm just reminded that James says we should rejoice and have joy in our suffering. Right. So it seems like yeah. this soil has it reversed. Good they're, point. They're joyful when they, yeah. you know, it's kind of like at a revival. You know, you, yeah, you right. go forward and, and then you're not catechized and you... You just it right. dies out. So we're, that is a good point. Yeah, it is a reversal, right? The joy was at the beginning and then tribulation. And again, I think too, Barry, you bring up. I think this is why we're we're cautious about our emotions, right? Or the, the emotional stuff of these sometimes services. You get uh, really filled with joy and very emotional. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. We should always be emotional in the gifts that our Lord gives us, right? But if we always if we if we hang our our faith on our emotions, then so we come to church, everything's good, and you feel good about everything, and then you go to work on Monday, you got a bad day, and you go to work on Tuesday, another bad day. Where do our emotions go? And then for those that are trying to base their faith on how they feel, they start thinking during the week, I've had an awful week, nothing's gone right. I must be have no faith. You know, and then they fall away. So, 
But our faith is in the word. Our faith is grounded in what Christ tells us. And you're right, in our trials and tribulations. And again, sometimes those happen to, uh, that those happen um, to turn us back to Christ, right? To turn us to who's the, who's the one can, that can save us from these trials and tribulations. So, uh, great point. Yeah, James goes on to add that there's a purpose for our suffering, and that's to develop endurance and character. Mm-hmm. So God's at work in us. Uh, so if we see that and receive that in that context, then we understand uh, our suffering is in a That's better a good, way. Good point. In fact, let me look up, tell you one more thing here. When you brought that up, I forgot about this. And it's kind of Romans 5, 5 stuff. Um, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Right. So, great point. Good, good. All right, any other questions or thoughts on soil number two? Okay, so let's move on to soil, soil number three. So interpreting 4, 7, which is other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded known grain. What does this mean? Sounds like the catechism, right? What does this mean? So four eighteen through 19 then. So Jesus tells us what this means is this. And others who are the ones sown among thorns, they are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, strangle. Remember, I talked about that in the Greek. Uh, strangle the word and proves unfruitful. All right, the cares of the world, we know that is. And you know what's interesting is every age has had its own type of worries. It's just not today. I mean, this has gone on. But then whoever lets these worries fill his heart, you know, it can smother the word that he's heard. So that's the cares of the world. You know, I think the, the bigger part, maybe even for us today, is the deceitfulness of riches, which he said here. Wealth as such, whether, whether you have it or not, yeah, regardless, always tends to deceive by promising a satisfaction which it cannot, does not bring, and thus deceives him who has it, number one, or who longs for it, right? So whether you're wealthy or not, when you're looking at always focused on riches, this, this is a dis- deceit. So again, these desires then enter their heart. What happens? It's like the thorny sprouts. They shoot in and fill up this available space base with this focus on these riches the seed starts to grow the word the seed of the word starts to grow of course then it's choked why is it choked it's this smothering of these deadly competitions right we see in our world these thorny growths whether it's the the worries of the world or the deceit of riches so then what happens then start focusing on more of that the result is that the seed of the word becomes unfruitful unable to produce fruit. And the fault then here, of course, is not with the seed, but with the soil. So then, what is this underscoring the importance of keeping our focus where? On riches, on the worries of the world? No. Keep our focus on Christ and His kingdom and His gifts rather than being distracted by the things of the world. 
right? This is pretty, uh, pretty relevant today. I mean, all of God's words is relevant at all times, right? But, um, and back in this time when Jesus was telling this, I mean, they had the same, same worries, same deceit for riches. So, of course, when the people are hearing this, they're understanding it, right? It's not just us today. So again, the importance of keeping focus on Christ and his kingdom, rather being distracted by all those other things that distract us in our life. Easier said than done. Admit it, right? Easier said than done. But again, as Barry said, we pray. Pray for us to be strong, to remain steadfast in the word. Continue to pray. Christ strengthens our faith. And of course, we get that when we come to the divine service. His word sacrament, the Lord's Supper. Okay. Any other thoughts or questions or additions to that third third bad soil, so to speak? So we've gone through three soils that aren't as good, right? The, the birds get the, the choking covenant, the rocky soil. Okay. So now the fourth, okay? which is interpreting uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 8, the fourth soil. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Remember, when we looked at this, these, these kind of, what's the term nowadays? When you, your, your yield, your yield. This yield on this crop, when it's 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold, was unheard of, Right? So this is like a miracle crop. So this is, this is what we're getting at here. So 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. The rich yield indicates that those who have the word and maintain the word, stay in the word, remain positive in the word, will be fruitful believers. And in fact, in ways beyond our human expectations and possible without the blessings of God. And this is, what, this is the fruit, right? The fruit that we have is a result of our faith, the gifts that God gives us. This is our sanctified life, living that sanctified life, bearing fruit, and, and the fruit being the result of our faith. And this is what it is, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Study note does a good job here, uh, kind of wrapping this up. Accept it and bear fruit. Elsewhere, Scripture teaches that believers must be given grace in order to accept the word and bear the fruit of faith. That's right, right? That's justification. We know that. That reality serves as a corrective to any thought that the productive soil is inherently better than the other productive soil. But the word is so effective that wherever it is seriously contemplated, heard, and used, it is bound never to be without fruit. So this is the good soil. This is... This is, this is what Jesus, this is, the, this is what we are, right? Is believing Christians. This is us. So, um, yeah. Any other thoughts on this or questions about the soils? All right. Well, good. So, that's, this is the first parable here that we've seen here. So then what does Jesus do? He leaves and go on. He starts preaching and teaching to other people. No. He does another parable to the same people. Let's go and um, look here. 
in our study Bibles. It's the, the next heading is a lamp under a basket. So again, this look how it comes. There's a break here in our study Bible. Actually, guys, uh, there's someone going into the office over here, Pastor. Uh, there's the guy, I think, delivering the candles. Just want to catch him. These are my... Oh, Wendy's there. Excuse me. She got it. Good. Um, all right. Our, our new candle operas are coming in, so we're excited to see them. So. Okay. So anyways, if you guys are ready then, let's try to get through another couple more uh, parables here then. And uh, so the next is a lamp under a basket. So again, here Jesus is just continuing this discourse with this crowd. There's no break. There's no breakup. He just goes from the parable of the sower to the interpretation, and then boom, he goes right into another another parable when he when he. Okay, so here it is: a lamp under a basket. There used to be a song when I was a kid about this, but I can't I can't remember what it is. Uh, do you guys, anybody remember that song? Okay. And he said to them, verse 21, And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. We've already heard that. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Okay, it's the uh, lamp under a basket here. Verse 21, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put in her basket or in her bed or on a stand? So, again, to whom Jesus continuing to speak to this, this crowd, not his inner circle here. Um, some people right off the bat, it's Jesus is, is the lamp. Is, uh, some commentators say Jesus is clearly the lamp. I think it can be other people. But Jesus in this, he's talking about himself. So then also, the point here is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed. What, is, what are we seeing here? I think that's pretty obvious. Who would bring, think about before electricity, you bring a lighted lamp into a room, and why would you just set it under the bed where it would do no good, right? Why would you put it under a basket or under a light, a bed? Then it'd still be dark, obviously. What do you do when you bring the lamp into the room? You put it on the lampstand so that the light can be radiant to the room and it's light, okay? So also, I mean, we see this. Some people say that Jesus is also referring to himself in here, especially when we look at the imagery of John's gospel, where, of course, Jesus is what? The light of the world. John eight twelve. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay. So then, then there's the, the analogy of the lamp, right? Then we go to verse 22. For nothing is hidden except to be manif- made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. It's a little kind of hard to see here. Look in the commentaries on this. So what, what I think that, the, that Jesus is getting here is that humans, what we 
we do want to cover our own deeds, right? We want to cover up things we've done. People try to cover up bad things. We want to cover them up because we, we don't ever want them to be revealed. But ultimately, I think we know everything about a person, um, especially his or, his or her attitude, really, will, be, will come to light on Judgment Day. For the non-believer, of course, trying to hide what they've done or hide their stuff on Judgment Day. That's why he says, nor is anything secret, secret except to come to light. These, you know, these bad deeds will come to light for the unbeliever. Of course, because they're not forgiven, right? But Jesus, though, in addition to that, though, here, uh, also is saying that he wants his word, the accounts of not our deeds, but he wants the account of his deeds to be proclaimed, Okay. And so Jesus' followers are supposed to bring the light of the gospel to the darkness surrounding them. That's what's going on here. All right, any questions there? Verse uh, 23. Hmm. Chris? Yeah, I don't mean to be uh, obtuse, but I, I think I'm just missing something. Um, the... The Isaiah quote, um, keep on hearing but do not understand, keep on seeing but do not perceive. This is what God tells Isaiah to tell the people of Israel. Yeah. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. So here, here we're saying, if anyone, Jesus is saying with the lamp under the basket, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Um, is it correct that God is telling Isaiah to to tell them these things to make the heart of this people dull as a punishment, like like Barry was saying with the mm-hmm. Pharaoh having his heart hardened. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to how do I make sense of that? Um, that on the one hand, Jesus is maybe not going as far as Isaiah and saying that I'm condemning you, but but I'm kind of hiding it somewhat in these parables. But what is it revealed, and then who's telling the parables? I mean, it's all pointing to Christ, right? Yeah. It's Christ and him and these parables. So um, I'm not quite sure where you're getting at. I think I, now the revelation has come to fulfillment in the life of Christ, which will ultimately become to the ultimate fulfillment when he dies in his resurrection. So that's where this is kind of all heading. So is that kind of well, answer I'm, your question? I'm just or? thinking anyone who has ears... To hear, let them hear. I understand that, but I, I guess I don't understand then God telling Isaiah, uh, make the heart of this people dull. In other words, yeah. I guess God is saying they, they had their chance, they're just willfully ignorant, and so I'll heap more ignorance on them as a, as a punishment for their hard, hard-heartedness. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I think that's what it is. I don't think that's, though, that's like an undown. I mean, it's not like a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but they're not, they're not, they're not willing to listen. They're not, they're not, they're not willing to do anything. So God's like, well, they're going to stay that way until they should turn and be forgiven, right? To be honest with you, well, I mean, we'll have, we can go back into the Isaiah text and get the Hebrew out, and we can come back and really look through that. Um, I, I didn't look through it too much, but I think the point is, is you know, now, you know, in Isaiah, 
Isaiah was speaking in parables. Again, what the commentary said, I looked at, said the Lord commissioned Isaiah to preach to Israel, knowing that the people would not understand what they heard or saw, but he's still commissioning to do it, right? Well, that or, yeah, he's teaching to the unbelieving crowds. But then also at the end, we're going to hear, you know, he does want you to hear. He does want you to understand, which the disciples still are not going to understand. We're going to see this. It's this kind of this mystery theme. And, you know, there is some kind of it's weird because um, as we get to the end of the parables, um, let's see, the it's. In verse 33, it says, uh, With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples explaining anything. So there's still, there's, there's this still not going on. But the point is, is Jesus doesn't want you to hear, but they're just not understanding it. But there's kind of this mystery here. He knows they're not going to understand it until they get to the cross. There you go. It's the seed growing. That could be, yeah, yeah. It's not going to right away. Right, right, yeah. In time. In time, yeah. Right. Right, yeah, that's right. So, But it is kind of, it's very confusing. And in fact, another thing that's confusing is there's two commentaries that I'm reading to prepare for this take different positions too. So it, it is it's kind of hard. But I think Jesus though, yeah, he did spoke, and Isaiah was speaking in these parables, and God wanted him to because he knew that these people weren't going to listen and had hardened their heart. You know, I don't know, something's now changed. Now this is the kingdom of God who was prophesied in the Old Testament is now a reality here on earth with the, on earth with the incarnation of Christ. So now is it complete, it's a different, now we've got Christ speaking the parables. But again, I think the purpose of, him, of the parables are he is trying to make a point to prove what the kingdom of God is, but they're not going to become clear until Christ ultimately dies and is resurrected and, and descended. So. so the disciples would receive that seed Yeah, good point. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Right. Right, right. And the classic example is Peter. And Peter's been with Jesus, I mean, from day one. He's seen everything, right? And then what does Peter do? I mean, Peter's the biggest weenie of them all. And they're in, the, you know, at the, uh, at his trial. And then, remember, Peter denies him all the time. But then, you know, still not really understanding. But then when Jesus dies and he's resurrected and he comes out, and then after the assumption, Peter becomes this, I mean, he comes out swinging at the Jews, right? So, you know, I think, I think that this whole time and these parables, they're not making sense because they're not, they haven't come to ultimate fulfillment yet. But yeah, that's a great point. And even in the face of that, they're hard for us to sometimes decipher today, even though we know. But this is, again, part of the mysteries of God, so... But I will do some more diving in on the uh, diving in on that Isaiah text, Chris. Let's let's talk offline about that. Let me look at the. I have a Hebrew commentary we can look at on that. Yeah. Maybe this is relevant. I happened to hear a conversation that involved Psalm one fifteen. So if maybe you could make a comment with that. It says, "Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases." Their idols, the other nations, are silver and gold, 
the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak, eyes, but do not see, ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them, the idols, become like them, so do all who trust in them. America. <laughs> America, yeah. Mm-hmm. The study note said, idols are essentially an outward representation of human imagination. Nothing could be more fleeting or glorifying. But through the promises of God's blessing, Yahweh's blessing, God calls his people beyond imagination to the truth of his existence. Oh, that's interesting. That is kind of a look at the parable. That's what he's trying to do, draw us to this, this beyond imagination to the truth. What he is, so. Yeah, very good. Like that. Mm-hmm. Ellie, yeah. We got a mic for Ellie back there. I think of the emptiness of of our um, goodness. My brain does not work at all. That's okay. We're patient. It's the empty. It points to the emptiness of our media. That's all I want to say. And and the the uh, um, uh, what is made to be very important is empty. The the. Issues of, of, um, well, I'm just not lucid right now. But it, okay. it has to do with the, 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 the lack of essence in our, um, whatever the the uh, whatever's coming forth in the issues of entertainment. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, yeah good point. Yeah. Certainly, we big focus on that, right? Big focus on that. Absolutely. Okay. Good, good. These are great discussions. Thank you. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see, you talked about that. So, um, verse 23, if anyone has ear to, ears to hear, uh, let him hear. Kind of, Chris, we kind of got into that. I'm going to kind of look more in this Isaiah thing uh, with you too, so I think that's good. But again, this is the same thing Jesus says in Mark uh, 4, 9, when he just first laid out the parable of sower. He who has he- ears to hear, let him hear. Um, I, so I, I do think now here, even in the face of the Isaiah quote, that Jesus is making it clear to his listeners that what he says now, what he's saying needs to be carefully considered, needs to be heard. Um, and of course then in verse 24, I think we see that then, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. It's pretty pretty, pretty straightforward. Pay attention to what you hear. Uh, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what does that mean? So really it's pretty simple, I think. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What you put into it, you're going to get out of it. Right? And that kind of ultimately simple that. When we hear, hear what you put into this, what you put into it, you're going to get out of it. And then, not only that, what you put into it, and still more will be added 
to you. The study note does a good job with this, I think. Uh, 4.24, Jesus assures his followers that when they act graciously and righteously toward others, an even greater measure of goodness will come back to them. Right? So still more will be added, right? More than we ever thought. So, And then 25, okay. One more question here. Just the comment of my domain of life is education. Mm-hmm. The it, it it is growingly it's growing in its emptiness from my viewpoint. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm simply stating it again. We've got uh, the issues of the uh, dare I say it with the person beside me <laughs> the. Uh, homosexuality issue that is is becoming more more and more prevalent and it really disturbs me mm-hmm. yeah it should disturb all of us we should pray for those people and pray for our nation good good point good point all right let me wrap it up real quick we got about one more minute after let's finish this and then we'll next week we'll get in the pair of the growing seed and then we get to get in um well, there's a couple more we'll get through. And then, conclusion, then we get in Jesus calming a storm. So we get out of the parables. And, and that's really cool. I can't wait to take you through that. So, okay. Well, last here on, uh, let's see, 425. Jesus says, uh, For to the ones who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So, of course, this is not saying that the, the rich get richer here. It's rather in that God's, uh, the economy of God's kingdom those who faithfully put into practice the teachings of Jesus, uh, are, that's how we, we, when we're in the word and we, we receive his gifts, that's where we're more faith. We have our faith is growing. And of course, those who do not receive his gospel will see spiritual life and blessings uh, slip away. All right, so we'll conclude it with that. Next week, we'll start with the parable of the growing seed. Then we go to the mustard seed. Then we get to the end of the parables. He talks one more time about parables. Maybe I'll I'll address the Isaiah stuff there uh, next time. And then we get into Jesus calming the tempest, the the storm. Jesus calm. All righty. Well, thank you, guys. Lord be with you.